and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, where you weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host as usual. I apologize very briefly if I sound a little bit different. Uh, decent chance I'm coming down with a cold, which is unfortunate, but uh, we'll see. Again, might might only be a you know one day thing. That's just a little bit like eh, you know minor, but nothing more serious than that. On the other hand, you know could be. You know, could be a lot of things, but if I sound different, that's why. If I sound completely normal, then, well, yay. <laughs> yay for me, I guess. All right. On the agenda tonight. Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 72. Yeesh. A lot of finishes. Um, good time to remind everyone that finishes do not equal good fights. So, we'll be talking about that card... Boy, that was a dead... Let me say it before we get talked to it, talk about it. And this coming Saturday, we have to preview, pay-per-view, UFC 281, two title fights, a potential fight of the year candidate on paper. Uh, it's a good card. It, it's a really, really good event on paper. So we'll be previewing UFC 281. And, of course, news of the week, such as it exists. Um... There was some news this week. A lot of it a bit more like bookkeeping in some respects than you have anything juicy if you care about the juicy drama side of stuff, I guess. But so that's what's on the agenda. Please interact with the product in any way you can. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, any and all of that. If you've done any and all of that, please do share the show. Um, sharing via in-person recommendations and or uh, social media posts is one of the best things you can do to help us out. So please help us out. Always appreciate anything and everything you can do for the show. Even if all you do is listening. And I, I say that because it, it's boilerplate. You kind of got to say it. Even if all you're doing is listening. And if you're listening to this, then I know you're listening. Thank you. Sincerely, thank you. There's a lot of places. There's a lot of MMA-related content. You choose this show to supplement your... MMA fandom experience, and it means a lot to me, so thank you. All right, let us jump in to last night, UFC and ESPN plus 72. Again, a lot of finishes, but man, did no one care. Um, well, you, you want to know how little people cared about this card? Five fighters missed weight. Shanna Young was able to get there eventually on her third attempt after an impromptu haircut. And for the record, good for you. I absolutely mean that. Good for you. If you've got to make weight, cut the hair. Uh, if you've done everything else you can do, cut it off. You know, if you got a beard, if you're a bearded fighter, if you got to make weight, that's mass. Shave it. It's part of the reason. There's a few different reasons, but it's part of the reasons why most fighters have big, have like their bodies shaved. It matters. I mean this in all sincerity, gentlemen, guys out there, you're listening to me. Um, if you completely shaved your body, I'm not advocating for this, but if you did, uh, do you 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 would be surprised how much the, the amount of weight you would lose right away. It would uh, again, it would be a little bit surprising to you. Now this is going to vary a little bit depending on how hairy you are, but it, it I mean it matters. It just matters. So. Good on you, and that was Shanna Young who did that. So, to her and her coaches, good call. 
You were you made the professional decision, and I do want to applaud that. But so four is the record officially. Like this ties, I think, two other cards, two or three other cards, with four fighters missing weight, um, and Shannon Young saved them from being a record-setting five. Um, yeah, the fighters didn't care. Uh, not that I blame them. We lost fights. Um, week of the fight, we lost a fight I was looking forward to somewhat, actually. Uh, Jailton Almeida and Maxim Grishin got moved. Or did it just get scrapped? Double check that. Because... I mean, I talked a little bit about it last week. You know, um, this was supposed to be headlined by a very different fight. Uh, Bryce Mitchell and Movsar Vloyev. Let's see... Yeah, this was just scrapped, uh, the, the Almeida and Grishin fight. Um, fight day, actually. After weigh-ins, for some medical reason, we lost the fight between Chase Sherman and Josh Parisian. Now, I'm not going to cry over losing a crappy heavyweight fight. Y'all know me too well. So, I'm not going to shed tears about it, but it's another one we lost. So, our weight missers for this particular event. Let me do this very briefly before I get into fights in particular. Um, Grant Dawson weighed 157 and a half for a lightweight fight. Not great. Um, Dawson only moved up to lightweight because he had problems at featherweight. He missed at featherweight in the UFC once. Now missing again at lightweight is not good. That fight did come together a little bit late, so you might be there. Might be a few extenuating circumstances there, but it's still not great. Um, Benito Lopez, who ended a like two and a half year layoff. For a bantamweight fight, he came in at 138.5. Not good. Uh, Carlos Candelario, who was fighting at flyweight, weighed 127.5. And Ramona Pasquale, who I think normally fights more at featherweight, women's featherweight, try, uh, went to drop to bantamweight. She might have had one bantamweight fight prior to this in the UFC. I forget exactly. I think she did. Um, she weighed 137. I don't know what was up with Vegas, but there were some struggles with the scales this week. Right, your main event. Amanda Lemos defeats Marina Rodriguez via TKO punches, 54 seconds of the third round. They were around a piece going into the third. Rodriguez had the first very uneventful round. Very uneventful round. Um, Rodriguez takes it on the back of being a bit more active generally. Uh, she reversed a takedown, ended the round on top, do it, landing some good, landing some shots, you know, uh, enough to win, you know, enough to win the round. And she might have been winning that round even before the reverse takedown, but that really kind of you know, sealed the deal. Second round, uh, Lemos gets a takedown about midway through the round, gets the back, and spends like the majority of the round on the back. Easily wins the round. Third round. They wind up trading right hands fairly quickly, and Lemos just, you know, there's there's not a lot of women that hit all that hard, especially at straw weight. Not saying none. Be very clear about this. Not saying none. But they're at something of a premium. There's there's a look. If you want to know the reason why women don't hit as hard as men generally, but again, I'm speaking generally. You take the average woman, the average man who hits harder. Even if we wanted to normalize this by size, right? Take the average female bantamweight, 
and the average male bantamweight. Let's see who hits harder. We all know how that's going to go. Uh, there are some women with some serious power, though. And you can tell because they get reactions when they hit people, when they hit uh, other fighters. They get reactions that they're not expecting. I said this about, I've said this about Amanda Nunes for a long time. Like, there's a lot of people who go, yeah, she hits hard. And then they know that, you know, intellectually. And then the first time they really get hit, like, everything changes. Um, Misha Tate said, uh, this quote's been used a lot, but Misha was asked about this, and Misha's quote about it was that Amanda Nunes hit her like a man. Like, Tate does a fair amount of sparring with men, with other uh, male fighters in her, whatever gym she happens to be at. She, she sparred men before, like a lot of women do, but, so she, when she said, you know, Amanda hit me, it felt like getting hit by a man. Amanda Nunes will ruin you if you're not prepared for that. Um, Jessica Andrade has serious, serious power, especially for someone her size. Like, for someone Jessica Andrade's size, like, that woman is an ant. I mean, that is a compliment. Like, she's lifting and doing stuff that's so much, that, that's more impressive because of her physical stature. She will turn your lights out. Uh, Zhang Weilia's power. We'll talk about that when we preview uh, her fight for UFC 281. Rose Namajunas can get some pop on her shots. A little bit more infrequent for Rose. Um, but she can get some. It's just again, it's just something of a rarity. Amanda Lemos, she throws hammers. And she's got some power. She didn't mind going punch for punch with uh, Rodriguez here. And they traded rights. And it was uh, Rodriguez who got a little bit jello-legged. Got backed into the fence. Lemo started unloading. Referee steps in. Initially, I was not thrilled with this stoppage. Second viewing and then, like, viewing it in slow-mo. Yeah. Like, I get Rodriguez's... Excuse me. I get Rodriguez's um, annoyance. But... If she'd done anything, then we'd be having a very different conversation. Right? She's backed into the fence and she's covering up. She's not moving her head. She's not moving her feet. She's not throwing back. Do one of those. I mean this. Do one of those things. If she's trying to circle out, if she's, you know, trying to duck and, if she's, you know, again, head movement, trying to dodge, if she fires back, then we're, ha then again, I think she's probably still in the fight. And I don't think the ref stops it, but when you don't, um, the ref's going to stop it. You're not there to be a heavy bag. And at the end there, that's, again, it's a flurry. I get it. But you've got to be able to, you got to still be there. And she was not showing to the referee that she was still there. That's kind of the long and the short of it. And so... Good enough win for Lemos. I said in my preview for this that if Rodriguez won, she should be next for the title. I stand by that. Lemos might still have a bit. Uh, there's some because she had that loss to Andrade very recently. Now Andrade might not even be still be at 115. She's kind of bouncing between strawweight and flyweight at the moment. They might push Lemos into the title picture. They were setting her up for it, man. Like Daniel Cormier, who was. I don't know, a little bit more tolerable in some respects last night than other times, but 
Um, just up there, like his last question was like, yeah, you know, you've only got the one loss. You just beat the number three person in the world. Just for every bit of criticism that was in some cases fairly directed at Joe Rogan back in the day when he would set fighters up for stuff like this, like amplify that. And then you got what Cormier did here. And the response that we got was, I'm happy to be the backup for the fight at 281. She might need another win. We're not quite sure. Again, Rosnam Yunus is still kind of floating out there in the ether. Dude, for the record, the UFC put up their, like, you know, their free fights on their YouTube channel to get people ready for 281. Now, I get you've got slim pickings with Carla Esparza, okay? She does not have a lot of very fan-friendly fights. I get it. For some reason... They decided that the fight for her that they're going to put up, because you tend to get one for, you know, the relevant fighters. So there's going to be one for Pereira, one for Adesanya, one for Zhang, one for Esparza, one for Chandler, one for Poirier, usually that kind of thing. So for Chandler, they put up his fight with Tony Ferguson, which just makes me sad. Beautiful knockout, though. Still just makes me, makes me a little bit sad. Um, for Esparza, they put up her second fight with Rose Namajunas. Look, as a guy who suffers from insomnia, I'm going to use this for a joke, but that's legit. I do have insomnia on occasion. It, it is not pleasant. But the UFC giving out a free cure for insomnia for a little bit here. Uh, much appreciated. Much appreciated. That terrible, terrible fight will lull you to sleep, uh, usually within the first two rounds. Uh, terrible fight. That's the one they decided to put up. Again, I know you got slim pickings with Carla Esparza. She's not exactly a... She doesn't put on very fan-friendly fights as a general rule. But maybe the worst choice they could have made. Like, they're setting up Zhang so hard here. And for the record, I think Zhang's going to... I'll get to my preview in a minute, but... Uh, I think that fight goes badly for Carla. Uh, but... So you've got Namunas out there. They're putting out this documentary about Rose. Um, so they might try to do something with her. I don't know. Um, again, there's a few things still up in the air here as a result of this. Is kind of the long and short of it. Uh, as for Rodriguez, she's going to need to rebound, but I imagine she will. There's a few different people she could fight, so who knows. Um, not a great fight. Uh, really not a great fight. Uh, co-main event. A good fight. Neil Magny makes history. He becomes the winningest, uh, welterweight of all time in the UFC. He now has the most wins in UFC welterweight history. He defeats Daniel Rodriguez via Darce Choke at 333 of the third. Uh, this was a good little fight. Magny probably took the first officially. I haven't double-checked, and I don't really care. Uh, I actually gave it to Rodriguez. Rodriguez came out. He was landing the left hand to the chest and the body pretty consistently. Magny gets a body lock, gets a takedown, gets some of his kind of, you know, fence wrestling stuff that he's very good at. Uh, so I kind of lean towards Rodriguez there, but I'm probably wrong, just for the record. Second round, Rodriguez lands more punches. He got a, he's got a feel for the range. His jab starts working. He wobbles Magni a couple of times. Like, good second round. Third round, 
Um, Rodriguez lands a pretty cracking left hand. Uh, Magny winds up pulling guard. Like, he gets hurt. They tie up, he pulls guard. And Rodriguez, he stays down there for a little bit, but ultimately kind of... Magny kind of pushes him away, and he's kind of acquiescent to, like, okay, let's reset on the feet. And Magny just gets back in his face, gets in the clinch, does the kind of wear-down thing that he's so good at, gets the back uh, gets the back for a bit. When Rodriguez escapes, Magny transitions to... Um, what do they call it? I think in wrestling, it's like a three-quarter stack or a power half, Nelson. It's a really nice control position if you can get it. Um, it's it nasty on the neck. He uses that to kind of force uh, Rodriguez into an awkward spot. And you can transition from that position easily into a Dars or an Anaconda, kind of depending on your preference there, what they do defensively. Gets the Dars, gets the tap. Solid win for Neil Magny. Um, I think Rodriguez was joking with him after the fight, like, I shouldn't have let you up, man, in the third. Like, I should have just thought to stay on the ground. Um, I'm still a pretty big believer in Rodriguez's upside. Uh, so not a great, I mean, this is not a great spot. You know, losses are never good, but this was a good fight. And Neil Magny is a pretty, pretty solid gatekeeper, and he took some offense to that and then proceeded to just do nothing but be a gatekeeper. Um, let me say this about Neil Magny. There's not too many people who are who are kind of accumulators, right? If you're familiar with that term from other sports or whatnot. These are people who just, they hang around and they accumulate stats over time through longevity. And it's to be respected. And it's certainly, it's not easy. Uh, certainly not easy in the UFC. I think the difference between Magny and some of the other kind of well-known accumulators is they all achieved at a pretty high level. And I'm, I'm, this is going to sound like I'm dissing Neil Magny, but just please let me get to my point here. If you look at the other big accumulators, Donald Cerrone, you know, fought for the WEC title, fought for the UFC title. Yeah, that guy had title shots. Um, Andre Arlovsky, former champion. Granted, a long time ago, but he was the heavyweight champion of the UFC. I mean, the belt didn't mean much at that time, and the Pride's heavyweight division was just comically better than the UFC's, but he was the champion, and he defended that belt. So, what year was the champion? Damian Maya had title shots in two different weight classes. Uh, another example. Uh, Jim Miller, God bless him. Uh, there was a time when Jim Miller was one of the three best lightweights in the world. And there was, again, in that same vein, there was a time when he probably could have got a title shot and he was passed over. Uh, Neil Magny has never been that close to the belt. Like, ever. I don't think he's ever been in the top five. I'd have to double-check his history specifically. And, again, be very clear... This guy's been in the UFC since 2013. He's coming up on 10 years, right? February of 13, he's very close to 10 years. He's going to get there. He's going to become a 10-year guy in the UFC. That's hard. That's real hard. The UFC does a lot of purges. In fact, we're going to get talked about that in a little bit. Um, and he's... Anytime he takes a step up, he tends to lose, Right? Like, who's the best win on Neil Magny's resume? Let me look it up. 
Let, let, let me just read. This is going to be the names of the people he's fought in the UFC. And we'll try to figure out the best the best win. Okay? So, John Manley was his debut. Uh, what, win, Sergio Moraes, loss, Pazinski, loss, Gasanum, a lot of win, Tim Means, win, uh, Rodrigo de Lima, win, Alex Garcia, win, William uh, Macario, Natalino, <laughs> uh, win, Kichi Kunamoto, win, Hyungu Lim, win, Damian Maya, loss, Eric Silva, win, split decision, He's, he deserved that, Calvin, Calvin Gastelum, split decision, he deserved that. Hector Lombard, he... That's a weird fight. If you've never seen his fight with Hector Lombard, there's a very real argument that fight should have been stopped in favor of Lombard in the first. It definitely should have been stopped in favor of Magni in the second if somebody went into the third. Uh, loses to Lorenz Larkin next. Johnny Hendricks? Maybe it's that. Might be that one. Beats Johnny Hendricks. Loses to Rafael Dos Anjos. Beats Carlos Condit. In, we're into 2017, so beating Condit in 17, not that big a deal. Craig White, that was a weird fight, gets stopped by Santiago Ponzinibbio, beats Li Jing Leong, Anthony Rocco Martin, and Robbie Lawler. Maybe it's Lawler. It's Hendricks or Lawler, kind of depending on name value. Uh, loses to Michael Chiesa, beats Jeff Neal, beats Max Griffin. I thought he lost that fight, actually. Loses to Shavkat Rachmanov and beats Daniel Rodriguez. Again, there's good win streaks in there. And this is not a guy who turns down fights. Like those, He's fought some tough guys. Michael Chiesa is still, you know, very highly ranked guy. Santiago Ponzinibbio was on a good run at the time they fought. Shavkat Rachmanov might be the next man at welterweight. And he's willing to fight him, and he lost decisively. But this guy will fight. But he's never been near the top of the division. Uh, not, not, not the very top. He's never been top five. He called out Gilbert Burns after the win, and if he's serious about trying to make some kind of a title run, that's the kind of fight he needs. I mean, the man's 35. But, again, been in the UFC for almost 10 years. That's mileage that adds up in a hurry. Uh, and 35 is not young for combat sports. You know, welterweight, welterweight's not... Again, it's not, you know, lightweight or bantamweight where you're in real trouble by that point, kind of. But it's also not heavyweight where, you know, 35, you can just be hitting your stride. So he doesn't have a lot of time left to play around. But he got a solid win here. Uh, this should have been your fight of the night, in my opinion. Um, it wasn't. There was no fight of the night. But so Rodriguez got a little bit shafted there because this was a good fight. It was a real good fight. Probably the only fight on this card worth looking up. If we're talking about the fight. Um, featherweights next. Um, Charlyon Nerdenbeka defeated Derek Minner via TKO. It's listed as elbows, 107 of the first. Let me tell you what happened here. Um, Derek Minner comes out and pretty quickly throw. <coughs> sorry. He's southpaw. Throws a left body kick. It lands. And as he puts his foot back, like, retracts the kick. There is no immediate counter. Like, Nurdenbeka tried to get his elbow down, but didn't quite get it. The kick lands on the body, under the elbow, kind of how you want to land that kick. Usually you want to be a little bit more under the foot or the shin. He was kind of a little bit towards the end of the toe, like the end of the foot. It's not just the toes, but it's kind of that last little quarter or so. I'm going to be a little bit more impactful than that, but... You know, solid, you know, decent land of the body kick. 
as he brings the kick back and kind of, you know, resets his stance, he grabs his leg, his left knee. It starts backing up. So there's something wrong here. Uh, when Nerdenbecker pushes in, he actually throws that same kick again. I, I don't know if that's ballsy or stupid or both, but... Uh, ow, my knee's injured. He throw the kick again. You know, I mean, all right. Um, Nuremberg gets a pretty easy takedown. Minner can't work his ground game. His left knee is shot. So, you know, Nuremberg just kind of starts dropping some elbows and the ref stops it. Um, here's the interesting thing about this fight. Um, when fight night opened, and when this card started, Minner was, he was the underdog. I believe he was plus 190. Um, which is, again, that's a pretty solid dog. It's almost two to one underdog. But that's within the accept, like, that. those odds happen in MMA pretty frequently. So, not out of the range of the ordinary. The last... Like right before this fight, like the last you know couple of hours or so before this fight, the, enough money came in on Nerd and Becke to push Minner from again a plus one ninety underdog up to like a plus three thirty. Now, it's entirely possible, unlikely but possible. That a lot of people were, you know, late money comes in, right? That happens. You wait to see where the line moves. Maybe you, like, try to find some better odds. But anyone, look, Derek Minter came into this fight with an injury, okay? There's no other explanation for that. That kick, there was nothing wrong with that kick. It was not blocked. It was not checked. It was not... He did not have an awkward landing when he was resetting his stance. Nothing. There was nothing out of the ordinary about that set of events, assuming the knee was healthy to begin with. Nothing. So he must have come into this thing with some kind of an injury. How bad it was, who knows. Bad enough that just throwing a kick did tweak that knee in a bad way. So, some kind of serious injury. Anyone, I said this about TJ Dillashaw, anyone who knew that Dillashaw, the extent of Dillashaw's shoulder injury, you had free money, man. You had free money to bet on Aljamain Sterling because while Sterling was the favorite in that fight, rightfully so, I mean, even even setting aside the injury to Dillashaw, Sterling should have been the favorite, stylistically and whatnot. Those odds were still relatively close. I forget what they were exactly, but uh, Sterling was like minus two something, I think. Not even minus three. You can make a good chunk of money betting the favorite when it's that. Anyone who knew about Dillashaw's shoulder... That's free money, man. He can't win that fight on one arm. He can't. I said this right after that fight. Can't do it. TJ at his best struggles with Sterling. One arm? No chance. No chance. And I know TJ got a little bit defensive about this when interviewed uh, a little bit earlier this week. Like, you know, 
I went in there thinking I was going to win. I appreciate your delusion, and I appreciate that it's a necessary component of being a fighter. Like, fighters have to be self-deluded in that respect. So, I, when I say I appreciate your delusion, I'm not being dismissive. Like, that's part of what made you great. That, that self-belief. Somebody should have talked to this guy and said, no, you can't beat him with one arm. And that arm's gonna pop, like, it's not possible. If you want to, if you just need the paycheck and you want to take one last shot in the glory and I got a one in a billion shot to land a head kick, whatever. But that's all you've got. And that was all he had. I don't know exactly what was up with Minner's knee, but somebody, my guess, somebody knew. And bet on it. So, I get, and man, doing that in Vegas, Nevada takes the integrity of their gambling seriously. So, this is probably going to get investigated. So, we'll see. We'll have to just wait and see on that one. Uh, flyweights, Tagir Ulanbekov defeated Nate Manus via guillotine choke, 211 of the first. Really nice finish from Ulanbekov here. Um, he was winning this fight pretty handily. Um, not running away with it, but this was going his way for as long as it lasted. Um, getting the better of it on the feet, gets a takedown. Nice little takedown, too. Um... Manus is able to scramble and kind of wall walk, but as he does, kind of leaves his head out a little bit. Ulanbekov grabbed the standing high elbow guillotine. Nice adjustment from him, actually. He goes with that, and if you've never seen that, if you're part of what you do with this to leverage it is if your right arm is doing the choking, that's the one under the neck, across the neck, to help kind of crank everything down, your left elbow comes up high, like points at the ceiling high. Um, this helps collapse the space where their neck is to compress the choke. I've, I've mentioned this about like the rear naked choke as well. You're not going to get a lot of compression squeezing around the neck with just like your biceps. Yeah, I don't care how much you can curl, unless you're a genuine freak of nature, if all you're trying to do with that is, again, a bicep curl and to squeeze and whatnot and choke, you're going to struggle with that. You're going to struggle with that a little bit. What you do to really finish that choke, if you pay attention to the people who do this, mind you, once that arm is in place under the neck, they don't just try to squeeze with the bicep and flex. Whatever arm is choking, they pull that shoulder back. And if you do that right now, like put your arm, put your right arm out like you're doing a choke. Now, again, just squeeze the bicep. Not going to compress much space. Take your right shoulder, I'm assuming right. Take your shoulder, pull it back. And watch what happens to the area where that their neck is theoretically occupying. Same kind of reasoning for why that elbow comes high. You're pulling, you're collapsing that space and using the other arm to kind of help that out. Manus is able to defend and survive a little bit in this choke. So Ulanbekov adjusts. His left elbow, instead of pointing way up, it's still, it's still technically a high elbow variant of the guillotine. Uh, mostly because the other elbow is not low, like the low elbow version is below the choke, whereas the high elbow is above it, but it's not very high. Um, he adjusts and he puts a little torque, a little bit of a crank into the into the choke. 
Um, I actually think he starts pushing a little bit, which, a, which I haven't seen a whole lot of. Normally when you do the guillotine, um, if you're going to crank, you're going to crank across your own body, right? So again, if you're using the right arm to choke, you would be pulling it with the left hand to, to cinch things up. He starts cranking a little bit, I think, almost the other direction. So he's got a good crank going. It almost seems to kind of push back in. And you can see the angle on the neck and whatnot as this choke is locked. And it's nasty and Manus taps. Ulan Bekov's good, man. He's a very good fighter. Um, what is he in the UFC? He had the unanimous decision loss to Tim Elliott. For the record, I thought Ulan Bekov won that fight. Um, pretty, pretty much straight up. I, I did not agree with that decision. Um, that's his only loss in the UFC. Uh, pay attention to that guy. He's got some, he's got some upside. Then kicking off the main card, Grant Dawson defeats Mark Madsen via rear naked choke 205 of the third. Um, Dawson just kind of better everywhere. Out-wrestled Madsen, used a lot of um, lower body attacks. Because Madsen, again, an Olympic uh, Olympic silver medalist. I think he went to the Olympics more than once. And But, but it's a Greco guy, so his upper body work is very good. Not There's some just stuff with the lower body that he's still catching up on. Out-wrestles him, out-grapples him, wears him out. Uh, lands a series of pretty nasty calf kicks in the third round. Uh, gets the back, gets the choke. Solid win for Dawson, who's still a pretty good prospect. As for the prelims, Miranda Maverick defeated Shanna Young via unanimous decision, 30-26 across the board. The third round would have been the 10-8, I believe. Um, on the feet, meh. On the ground, Maverick was a lot better. Um, Maverick's good about finding places on the ground to throw knees to the body, which are wildly underused, so good on you for that. Um, at bantamweight again, in theory, Mario Bautista. He ran over Benito Lopez, man. He got a reverse triangle armbar. Just more a reverse triangle than a reverse armbar. Um, so, again, the triangle the triangle position, instead of being normally, he was on the back and he got it, so it's a reverse triangle. Um, 454 of the first. Bautista did whatever he wanted to in this fight. I mean, Lopez looked rusty. Wonderful body shots from Bautista. If you... If your only impression of Mario Batista came from his UFC debut when he kind of got run over by Corey Sandhagen, you do not have an accurate impression of that man. He's pretty darn good. Uh, this was a good outing from him. Uh, Strawweight, Poliana Viana defeated Jin Frey via uh, knockouts. They announced this is a TKO originally. I guess they changed it. Um, punches, 47 seconds of the first round. Viana hit this really nice knee uh, that... Frey kind of Frey kind of didn't like, and really pushed forward trying to get after it. Viana hit this really um, Frey fights southpaw, and Viana reacting to the pressure stepped back into southpaw, and I don't think Frey was fully cognizant of that because her defense didn't change, and Viana unloads a combination, drops her, gets the finish. You got to watch your opponent's footwork, guys. Um, Especially if someone's good about switching or knows how to switch, even if they don't switch constantly, if they know, you need to be aware. If the angle you're at or the step they take changes that, be aware of it and be aware of your responsibilities relative to it. 
Um, this is Viana's first finish in a while, right? Um, this was her first TKO since 2014. Uh, sorry. She beat Amanda Hibas in 15. So, you know, casual seven-year gap between stoppages via strikes. Um, good stoppage. Uh, that's a little bit facetious on my part, but this was a good good little finish from uh, Viana. Bantamweights. Uh, Johnny Munoz defeated uh, Ludovic Sholinan via unanimous decision. 230-27s win 29-28. Good overall outing from Munoz. Um, Sholinan came on in the third. Just That guy won't stop, man. Like, he's durable as heck. Uh, but overall, good performance. good enough performance out of Munoz. See, Jake Hadley defeated uh, Carlos Candelario via triangle choke, 239 of the second. Nice little example of how the details matter when you're finishing a technique here. He has the triangle position for quite some time. Um, lands elbows more than anything from there. So, But when he's able to kind of underhook the appropriate leg and twist his hips to crank things down, that's when he gets the tap. So yeah, the, the finishing details matter. And kicking everything off, uh, Tamiris Vidal defeated Ramona Pasquale via TKO. Lovely little jumping knee to the body, 306 to the first. Uh, just very well-timed. Pasquale was not expecting it. Knees to the body are one of those weird things in fighting. If you watch a lot of fighting, you tend to lose respect for the knee to the body because you see people just eat, you know, dozens of them and just keep on trucking. But just one... Placed, not only placed right, the placement can be a little bit off. If you time it right, especially if they're not expecting it, that'll do it. So it's one of those things that don't let seeing a lot of that technique land and not finish, don't let that make you lose respect for the technique. That's a good technique. Uh, this was a very well-timed move from Vidal. Solid debut for her. As I mentioned, there was no fight of the night. Your performances... Uh, the night went to Neil Magny, Mario Bautista, Pauliana Viana, and Tamaris Vidal. Um, ah, did I agree with all that? Um, might have swapped out. What one would I have swapped out? I probably would have swapped out... Um, Viana for uh, Tegirul and Bekov. I was much more impressed with his guillotine than I was with her uh, with her striking. But again, it's the UFC. It's Dana White's discretion, so what are you going to do? I imagine there were some other bonuses handed out to some of these guys, but these are the official ones we're talking about here. So yeah, that was the event. Um, a lot of finishes. That hurt the prelims. Like... If we're dealing with an ESPN Plus only card, and this was, the prelims suffer because they have to fill a lot more airtime. The main card, even if you have quick finishes, tends to flow a little bit better because you're not as rigid on your start, beginning, and ending. But that main card is set to begin at a specific time, and it can't really start until then. So there was a fair amount of vamping that had to go on here. And some of it was okay, some of it wasn't, you know, it's one of those things. The UFC broadcast is not built for this. This is, 
This is something the UFC broadcast has not figured out yet, is how to meaningfully fill airtime. And I get that they don't have a tremendous amount of experience, so this is not me saying how dare you not have this figured out by now. More often than not, this is not a problem for them. I get it. But they definitely need to... They need to find a... They need to find some kind of rhythm, find something to help fill airtime when they need to, because it is a painful viewing experience. Uh, yeah, so my full report is, I believe it's up in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so give it a look. If you're so inclined, always appreciate that. Alrighty, let us move on. UFC 281. The UFC is back in New York City. They will be at Madison Square Garden. And they brought a very long card. It's a big card. Hang on. That's five on the main card. Four on the prelims. And another five on the early prelims. Fourteen fights. God help us. That's going to suck. Like, I've said this before, man. 14 fights is just too many. Um, we're going to have to find out if, any, if anything falls apart in fight week, of course, because that seems to happen. But that's just too many fights. Like, 14 fights is... There's some good fights here. I fail to understand why a few of these couldn't have been moved around to some previous events and maybe spiced them up a little bit. Because 14 is just, again, it's just too many. It's just too many, man. All right, main event. Darn good fight for the middleweight title. Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion, fights his sort of nemesis, Alex Pereira. Um, Pereira holds two victories over Adesanya in kickboxing. One was a split decision that I do tend to think Pereira won, but that was a close fight. Their rematch was interesting because Adesanya kind of beat the crap out of him for a while. I mean, he dropped him in the first round of their fight um, more than once. Adesanya kind of had his number, and then just Pereira found the left hook and that knocked out Adesanya. Um, Pereira in the UFC has been... He's been interesting because he's a big, rangy dude. Like, that guy is... How big is he? He's a big guy. He's 6'4". Uh, with a 79-inch reason. He's a big guy. And... He's had some success in the UFC. Some of it was... Eh. I mean, he kind of got out-wrestled by Andreas Mihalidis. Um, before landing the flying knee at the start of the second round, because if you're a striker and you don't really know your way around the grappling, screw it, start with the flying knee. And if it works, it works. Um, he beat up Bruno Silva, knocked the heck out of Sean Strickland in one round. Uh, that was earlier this year. You know, if he beats... I'm going to throw this out there. If, big if, if he beats Israel Adesanya, he might be your 2022 fighter of the year. That would be three wins on the year. And the last one being the title win. That's a thought. For those of you who keep track of that stuff, that's a real thought. Um, 
This is a tough one. Pereira's gotten by in the UFC a lot on his opponents not really knowing how to strike with him. I mean, Bruno Silva had some success against him, actually, when he kind of would force some brawls. But Pereira's got power. He's a very decorated kickboxer. The striking tempo and selection and whatnot in kickboxing is very different from MMA. If you look at the history of high-level kickboxers who have had a successful transition to MMA, there's a weird little kind of trait they all share. If you watch, if you watch a lot of kickboxing, I don't watch a lot of it, but I, I watch kickboxing on occasion, and I've seen enough to note the trend here. Because there's only three-minute rounds, most kickboxing is getting relatively close and trying to keep a high output rather than a lot of really slick reads. Now, you make reads within that, but you're not very analytical about it. It sounds like I'm, ditch, I'm dissing on kickboxing. I'm not. It's, it's just how the sport is structured and what it rewards. That doesn't reward necessarily fighters like Adesanya, who you know, he had a lot of success in kickboxing, but if you watch some of his kickboxing fights, he fights them like he does MMA fights. Very selective. And... Very analytical. And the format of kickboxing doesn't really lend itself to that being successful. That is a much better strategy when fighting in mixed martial arts. You have longer rounds. Your weapons can be more potent for a variety of reasons. Um, not just glove size, but level of opposition. What you're allowed to fake and faint and target. Like, the number of targets you can... Theoretic, not just attack, but fake to attack to open other things up, much larger. Uh, so that general kind of approach works better in MMA than it does in kickboxing. I don't know that, I don't know what Pereira is going to bring to this in that respect. The man hits very, very hard, and he is. Uh, that that's that's an oversimplification. He is technically very sound. He's not going to come in swinging wide at Adesanya. Um, I'm curious if Adesanya might try to wrestle or grapple a little bit here. It's not something we've ever seen him have to do. I, this is something that's been brought up about Adesanya recently. You know, he's got a very good A game. Um, his striking game is it's very, very sophisticated. It's maybe the most sophisticated the sport's ever seen. But... He's a little bit content to do enough in his mind to win some rounds that are very close. And that opens up some possibilities. You know, that second Whitaker fight, I scored it for Adesanya, and I stand by that. But I don't think it's wrong to score that fight for Whitaker. You know, that Romero fight, um, that was closer than it needed to be. Just put it like that. So... I don't know. I don't know that Adesanya has a plan B, right? If he can't just overwhelm you or have a big enough advantage in the striking, if there's not a big enough differential there, what's his plan B? And I don't know. If someone is going to force him to show off his plan B, it's gonna be Alex Pereira. That much I do know. So, I'm as far as my pick. 
I'm gonna pick Adesanya still. I. This is close on paper. Now it might not be close in practice. One of these guys might go out there and blow the other one out of the water. That's very possible. As I think about it on paper, it's pretty close. Ultimately, I think there's a few things working in Adesanya's favor here. One is the general MMA experience. Two is the five-round experience. If the, the longer this goes, the more I tend to think it favors Adesanya. Not that Pereira doesn't carry his power later, but if you've never fought for 25 minutes and Pereira hasn't, that's one of those things that you, I've said this before, you can train for it and you should train for it, and if you train for it correctly, the, the shock of the difference between training and reality is minimized. But there is still a gap. And it's just a gap that you never really feel until you feel it the first time. Adesanya's fought five rounds plenty of times at this point. So I think, I think the longer it goes, the more it might favor him. That said... If he does drop enough rounds to make this close, you know, Pereira, again, this is a close fight. I lean out Asanya, but I, I don't know by how much. Like, I, I don't know by how much. So, good fight. Co-main event for the strawweight title. Carla Esparza attempts to get her first successful title defense when she fights former champion Zhang Weili. I don't know if you saw this video, it made the rounds on Twitter, but there's a video of Zhang Weili picking up Francis Ngannou. And, uh, look, not like a baby or anything, it's a little bit like a high crotch lift. But she gets down there, I mean she's a lot shorter than he is anyway, but she gets there, grabs him, you know, grabs around the leg, and picks him up. I don't know what Zhang Weili weighs walking around. My hunch is, what's it, 115? Probably 130, 140. Now, this is, again, like last week, so she's probably leaner than that as we're coming into fight week. So she's probably, again, in the thir 130s would be my guess. And I don't know exactly, uh, Ngannou mentioned how much he weighed, it was 230-something. And she picks him up. And it's not like it's nothing. You know, there's some effort there, but I imagine she could pick up more than just Francis and Goddard, like more than just that weight. She is insanely strong. Carlos Sparza is a one-dimensional wrestler. Zhang hits hard. Zhang is physically strong. Zhang can wrestle. I'm, I don't mean to completely discount Carla Esparza here in the sense that I'm not trying to diminish her accomplishments as a fighter. She's a two-time champion. That is nothing to sneeze at. She has the longest gap between title reigns in UFC history. That takes a kind of determination and a fortitude to pursuing the career and the fight and just, you can keep, you wade through the trenches. That's hard. That's very hard. So I, I give her all the credit in the world for that. But I think she's going to get run over here. Like, 
I don't know how she wins this fight. Like, Zhang's not going to get sucked into the same kind of dance routine that Rose Namajunas was. That's never been Zhang's style. Even if she's been okay at various times, either just kind of backing away or just kind of pursuing a little bit lackadaisically, that's a bit far enough in the rearview mirror that I think we can kind of move beyond that. Um, I'm picking Zhang here. I pick her very comfortably. Very comfortably. The fight I am most looking forward to. Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. These two are going to get after it. Mm. Can't wait. Wish this was five rounds. Um, Poirier coming off of that loss for the lightweight title when he fought Charles Oliveira. Um, Chandler coming off of that brutal, brutal knockout win over Tony Ferguson. Um, God, that was nasty. Two in a row losses before that to Oliveira and Gagey, but... Dude, his first three fights in the UFC... His first... His, his UFC career to date. Dan Hooker... He stopped in the first round, but that's a ha But Dan Hooker's really good. Oliveira for the title... Gagey, Ferguson, now he's fighting Poirier. That's a heck of a five-fight stretch. There's, there's nothing even approximating a soft touch in there. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, Poirier being a southpaw is probably going to help him a little bit. Chandler hits hard, but... Michael Chandler still has this thing. Where if he can't get you out of there in one shot, or you know, in in that first in a flurry, he will just try to wrestle you against the fence. I don't know that that's a winning strategy against Poirier unless you're a very very good overall MMA grappler, not just wrestler. Um, Poirier might get tired though. Like again, that's a thing that might happen if Chandler is able to get on top of him and do some damage, make him work. Chandler's chin has been checked multiple times. Yeah, this is a very good fight. I think my hunch is to lean towards Poirier. I usually do. But that's not by much. That's a really good fight. Can't wait for it. Bantamweight. The last ride of a UFC and general MMA legend. Frankie Edgar is having his retirement fight here. Um, I've been watching Frankie Edgar for a long time. A long time. Um, I... You guys may not remember this. I wasn't watching at the time. I, I, uh, but Frankie Edgar's UFC debut came at UFC 67 in 2007. Boy, he's been there forever. He's been in the UFC as long as I've been watching it. And I forget exactly when I started watching more consistently, but when I was when I whatever that was, whenever I started making it a you know, more appointment viewing for myself, he was there. I guarantee it. Um, but back then, the UFC didn't air the prelims necessarily. They had the prelims, but they were for the live audience because they didn't have broadcast deals necessarily for the preliminary card. 
So you would air preliminary fights if you had time on the pay-per-view broadcast, or they'd get recycled into uh, and re-aired on, what the heck did they call it? Um, the UFC would have, when they got on Spike to a degree, they had uh, kind of weekly shows that were just a conglomeration of older fights. And they were, I forget what they called this program and the fact that it doesn't, again, it doesn't exist anymore because now they run every week. But, or you would try to catch the these preliminary fights on those things. Um, Frankie Edgar and Tyson Griffin was the best fight at UFC 67. And that fight, fe- that event featured um, some pretty darn good stuff. Um, you had Quentin Jackson's UFC debut you get Mirko Krokop's UFC debut. You beat Eddie Sanchez. Yeah, that was. That was his UFC debut. Uh, your main event was Anderson Silva versus Travis Luter. That was supposed to be a title fight, but Luter missed weight. But if you... if you, I remember the chatter that came out of this. Because they were able to air this one on the pay-per-view broadcast. And the chatter even before it, if you were kind of paying attention to the right online spaces, and again, 2007, so a lot of forums, people were talking about Edgar and Griffin. And they were able to find space on the broadcast for it, and thank heavens, because again, best fight of the night. By a pretty serious margin. Um, This guy's been around forever. And it is time, it, it is time. For him to retire. I think we've all kind of acknowledged that. He is one and four in his last five, and that one was a split decision that I thought he lost. He's been finished brutally in his last two fights. Uh, Sandhagen cleaned his clock with that flying knee. Then Vera front kicked him in the face and turned him into Mo Sislak. Now, if you've seen the, the picture that was the still picture that was captured of that front kick landing and poor Frankie Edgar's face, he looks like Mo from The Simpsons. Um, he, he's trying for one last win, basically, in front of his home crowd. He's from Tom's River, New Jersey, so they're in New York, but close enough. He's fighting Chris Gutierrez, who happens to be really good. Gutierrez has one loss in the UFC to Hani Barcelos. Other than that, the only blemish on his record is a draw with Cody Durden. He's on... Um, his UFC record is 6-1-1. One, and one. He stopped pretty brutally Dana Batgari with a spinning back fist in his last fight. Um, he overcame something that uh, Dana was kind of giving it to him. I don't know that I can pick Frankie Edgar here. I will be rooting for him. Because I watched a lot of Frankie Edgar fights, watched a lot of great Frankie Edgar fights. But can I pick him? I don't know that I can. Again, I'm rooting for the guy. I really am. But I think if I'm picking, I'm going to pick Gutierrez. And kicking off the main card at lightweight, Dan Hooker. Trying to get back on the winning side of things after that. Um, he got... He got kind of run over by Arnold Allen. He's one and four in his last five. Now, those losses, 
at lightweight are to Dustin Poirier. That was a war. Michael Chandler, uh, Islam Makashev, and then at featherweight, Arnold Allen. In there, in the middle of that is a win over Nazareth Hakkarost. Now, the level of opposition does merit consideration here. Again, Poirier and Chandler. Poirier, a two-time title challenger and a former interim champion. Chandler, a former title challenger. Makashev, the current champion. That's the very best. Like, those are three of the top five lightweights in the world. Certainly in the UFC, if not the rest of the world. But he needs a win pretty badly. Anyway, he's fighting Claudio Puyas. Now, Mr. Puyas is a tad underappreciated. He lost his UFC debut when he was stopped by Martin Bravo. He took basically two years off. Came back and beat Felipe Silva. And he hasn't, I mean, since that loss, he has not lost. He's 5-1 and one in the UFC on a five-fight winning streak. Uh, he has back-to-back knee bar submissions. In fact, he knee barred Play Guida in his last fight. Um, he's a good fighter. My hunch here is to pick Hooker. This is a pretty big step up for Puyas. Um, Guida's got name value, but in 2022, he's not, like, that's not a big win. Um, his wins are, let's just go over his wins. Felipe Silva, Marcos Mariano, Jordan Levitt, Chris Gritzmacher, and Clay Guida. So easily, easily, easily. The best guy he's ever fought is standing across the cage from him tonight. I'm going to lean hooker here. I'm going to pick hooker. But... Uh, if Poyas is gonna, if he's gonna make a statement, make a move, this is the time to do it. Um, that's your main card. It's a good main card. There's not really a weak fight there. Um, on the pre- as for the prelims, let's go down these. Brad Riddell and Hanato Maikano. Yes. Kind of said that wasn't the main event of last week's card. That's a darn good card. That's a darn good fight. Um, Riddell's on a two-fight losing streak. Losses to Rafael Fazeev and then Jalen Turner. Uh, he and Fazeev had a pretty good fight. Turner caught him with a guillotine choke relatively quickly. And Turner's got a good guillotine. Whereas Moicano, he's been up and down. Um, he's coming... Oh, God, that loss to Dos Anjos. Um, they made that fight five rounds. Kind of last minute. That fight should have been stopped. Like, there's so many times that fight should have been stopped. Um, Dosan just beat the crap out of him. I appreciate Moicano's toughness in that fight, but that fight should not have been allowed to continue. I'm going to lean towards Riddell here. I think Moik- I think the mileage might be catching up to Moicano. Um, he might win this fight. He's very, you know, he's good, but I don't know. I get I got a little bit of a feeling about that. I think he might be a bit worn down. Light heavyweights, Dominic Reyes and Ryan Spann. Who in the world could care about this? Um, Reyes, the man that some people think beat John Jones. And to be fair, I understand that argument. I kind of thought John lost that fight. On a three-fight losing streak, he lost to John Jones. He was TKO'd by Jan Blahovich, And then he was violently knocked out um, over a year ago by Yuri Prochka, the current champion. So, again, champion fight with John. For the vacant title against Jan, and the current, and then the loss to the current champion. So he is not losing to chumps, but 
Let's all take it. I like Reyes, so but let, let's let's do a little bit of a reality check here, very very briefly. His rise to the title picture had some very impressive performances. There's a couple of things here though. One, he has a split decision win over Vulcan Uzdemir that really could have gone the other way, maybe should have. To earn his title shot in 2019, he knocked out Chris Weidman. Knocking out Chris Weidman in 2019 is not... Like, I'm not trying to dump on Weidman here, but Weidman ain't what he used to be. Now he's on a three-fight losing streak. The bloom might well and truly be off the rose of Dominic Reyes. Now, he took enough time after that brutal knockout to Yuri Prochaska, but if he loses again here, and he might, Ryan Spann had a long winning streak at one point, um, he's traded wins and losses his last couple of fights, losing to Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith but beating Misha Sirkinov and Iwan Kutalaba. This is a decent enough step up for him, too, by the way. This would be one of the bigger wins of his career if he can get it. Might be the biggest. Um, you get Little Nog. Might have more name value. But, yeah, I'd say the biggest. I'd say the biggest. I'm going to give Reyes the benefit of the doubt here. I think Span's a flawed enough fighter that Reyes can beat him, but um, Reyes does not have a lot of time to mess around here if he wants to rebound. If he goes 0-4 here, um, that could be disastrous. Women's flyweight Molly McCann will fight Aaron Blanchfield. Um, Molly's on a three-fight winning streak with a couple of spinning elbow knockouts. I'm going to pick Aaron Blanchfield here. Blanchfield is a smothering grappler, and that gives Molly problems. Um, that said, Molly is wild enough to catch you if you're if you're not really paying attention. So, um, But, yeah, I'm going with Blanchfield. Uh, middleweights. Andre Petrosky will fight Wellington Terman. Petrosky is on a three-fight winning streak. Um, beat Nick Maximov his last time out. They put him to sleep with a Manaconda choke. Terman finally kind of got the UFC win monkey off of his back. He's won his last couple of fights, beating Sam Alvey and Misha Serkinov. Um, well, he had a rough go of it for a while, though. I'm, I think I'm going to lean towards Petrosky here, but... Uh, if Terman's really found himself in the UFC... Uh, very winnable fight for him. Um, that's the prelims, the early prelims. Lightweight, Matt Frivola and Atman Azaitar, who got back into the UFC's good graces despite very shady behavior that got him technically released from the promotion. Um, he's undefeated. Uh, Frivola. Very up and down. I'm going to be pulling for Frivola, but I think, uh, I think the pick is Azaitar. Uh, strawweight, Karolina Kovalkiewicz and Silviana Gomez-Juarez. Um, Kovalkiewicz choked out Felice Herrig earlier this year and broke a five-fight losing streak, I think it was. Yeah. Um, Gomez-Juarez just got her first win in the UFC when she beat uh, Leong Na. Na Leong? I forget exact. I forget which of those is her family name. Um, so forgive me. 
I think it's Nalion. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure here. Probably lean towards Koblukevich. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, featherweights. Michael Trezano, who is, what, 3-3 three and three in the UFC? With two of those wins being split decisions on a two-fight losing streak. He will be taking on... Uh, is that the Korean Superboy? No, Sting. Sung Woo Choi. Um, sorry, not the Korean Superboy. That's uh, Do Ho Choi. So, forgive me, Sung Woo Choi. Um, Choi's on a three, two-fight losing streak. And that cool about fight maybe should have gone his way. Um... I'm going to pick Troy here. I, I just don't... I don't see a lot of upside in Trezano. Bantamweights. Julio Arce and Montel Jackson. Arce has been trading wins and losses for a bit, but coming off a win. I mean, his losses are to Shaman Marais, split decision. Hakeem Dawadu, split decision. I thought he won that Dawadu fight, by the way. Uh, Song Yudong knocked him out. Yeah, that was legit. Uh, Jackson, by contrast... He's been in the UFC longer than you might think. He's 5-2. Losses to Ricky Simone and Brett Johns. On a two-fight winning streak. Granted, against a relatively lower level of opposition. I'm going to go with Arce. And kicking everything off, light heavyweights. Carlos Ulberg and Nikolai Negumerianu. Um, Ulberg... On a two-fight winning streak, rather. Sorry, he's 2-1 and one in the UFC. He knocked out Tafan Chukwi his last time out. Negamariano is not going to let him fight kind of the way he wants to for the most part, though. Negamariano is on a four-fight winning streak. Hmm. I think I'm still going to pick Ulberg. Uh, the range is going to be a bit of a problem for Negamariano to kind of manage, but uh, that if Negamariano can manage the distance, get close, and make this ugly, he will beat Olberg. Olberg's not really built for that kind of fight. That's not where his skill set lies. So that's your card. All fourteen fights. My luck, all fourteen will go through. But I will be covering it Saturday in the MMAZona411mania.com. So stop by, say hello. Always appreciate that. All right, let's talk a little bit of news here, because we can. Um, this has been kind of making the rounds. Paulo Costa seems very unhappy. Now, this might just be noise. Might. But he's been, he's been talking about, you know, my UFC contract's about to expire. How close we are to that seems to be a matter of some confusion he seems to be operating under the assumption that his ufc contract began the day he signed with the ufc most ufc contract language states that the contract goes into effect the first time you fight so if he's kind of waiting out elements of a sunset clause like you know five um if he thinks the five-year kind of gap on that is about to be up it might be longer than he thinks if he has to if it is actually like first fight rather than date of signing. But he seems unhappy, man. Usada has really pissed him off. 
the way, and I'm not even saying he's wrong about it. I've made my feelings on USADA very clear. So I don't know if he's going to still be with the UFC all that much longer. He might just wait this thing out. Um, we'll have to see. And it might just be noise trying to get a better deal. This might be public negotiation. Very possible. But figured it's worth pointing out. Like, cost is making noise. So in that same vein of being out of the UFC, the UFC did um, a roster purge. We lost some fighters. Um, let's start with one that I found most interesting in some respects. Askar Askarov uh, requested his release from the UFC and was granted. If you'll recall, he was supposed to fight a few weeks ago, had to pull out due to health reasons. Uh, there, again, there were weight issues, and again, whatever was going on with him, I think I kind of speculated, like, there might be something more going on here. Well, in his statement about being, about leaving the UFC, he mentioned, you know, I need to get my health in order. So, whatever's going on with him, um, I hope he gets it sorted out. I, I, your health is more important than f your fighting career, so I, I hope he can figure that out. Wish him the best. He actually cut a lot of people. Um, one of the Kosi brothers, I believe it was Lewis. Uh, not surprising, I don't think he's won in the UFC yet. Charlie Ontiveros, not surprising, I believe he's he's either 0-2 or 0-3 in the UFC. Jesse Ronson, see previous statement. Cameron Van Camp, 0-2, I believe. Uh, Cameron Weeks. Uh, again, like these are people with like 1-2, 1-3, 0-2 UFC records. Um, it's it sucks for the fighters. Like I'm, I'm not gonna pretend otherwise. It does. I'm also somewhat. I also understand the UFC's position here. Like you've got to win at some point, right? Um, Nick Maximov got the axe. Now that's a little bit surprising. He was what two and two in the UFC, I believe. On a two fight losing streak, he had the knee injury issue in his last fight. Um, this might be an indicator of the UFC still kind of being a little bit on the outs with uh, um, Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz or some element of that group because he trains with them. Um, might also be they couldn't have come to terms on money. Like he might have been through his four fights and you know just they weren't coming to terms. Could be. He might be back. Uh, that wouldn't it would not surprise me to see him return to the UFC. Uh, unless there's some real, like, bad blood behind the scenes stuff. Misha Serkinov got the axe. Long time. Had been with the UFC for a while. Looked every bit the part of a light heavyweight contender. Future top player. And then hit a hump that he couldn't quite get over, man. Uh, sucks. But it happens. Uh, the one that kind of surprised me here a little bit. Um, Magomed Mustafaev got the axe. Now, Mustafaev had been a little bit inactive... So I understand that, but he was a very good fighter. So I'm not entirely sure what was going on there. Uh, that sucks. Mustafa, again, he's still very good. So I imagine he'll land on his feet wherever he goes next. But so we got some roster cleaning. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine with some of those more tenured guys, you know, I'm, Serkinov in particular. They can probably hire at least like three guys off the contender series for the repaying Serkinov. So. Well, that's the news that I had listed. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken there. If not, we will do plugs and then get out of here. All right, nothing new, so plugs. 
Uh, there was a Damn You Hollywood last week for Pray for the Devil. This week, there is no Damn You Hollywood. However, um, for the first time in a little bit, Mark Radlish and I will be getting together because it is time for the midterm elections here in the United States. So if you care about this or you just want to listen to Mark and I BSing, um, we will be doing that on Tuesday. Mark and I did a live election coverage for 2016. That was the year, that was the Trump and Clinton election. Uh, we were going to do one for 2020. Mark wound up not being able to make that. There were technical issues. It was a whole thing. Um, ultimately, I, I did that one with Andrew Graham. We covered the 2020 election. Now Mark and I are going to get together and we're just going to shoot shoot the breeze while talking a little bit about uh, the midterms here in 2022 wouldn't it shouldn't take that long but we just got fed up with the utter ridiculousness that is uh that is kind of like mainstream election coverage here in the united states and just figured you know what if these idiots can do this so can we <laughs> kind of the thought process there so tune in for that if you're so inclined um, this uh, Thursday, Thursday, I will be taking part in a TV party episode for Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is all available on Netflix at the moment. All eight episodes are up. Uh, Alexis Haina hosts that. She and I, and I think Jason Teasley. Uh, I'm not sure about Jason, but she and I at a bare minimum. We will be talking that particular anthology series, so that'll be a good time. My usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW, they're releasing stuff again. They released the Battle Riot event on Thursday. Last Thursday. So their Fusion startup again this coming Thursday. That will be up in the Wrestling Zone. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. So be on the lookout for any and all of that in the Wrestling Zone of 411mania.com. And of course UFC 281 on Saturday. We will be back here next week. And we will review UFC 281 plus preview. Yeah, we're going to preview this crappy card. Um, UFC on ESPN plus 73. Yeah, this card sucks. Um, main event, Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. That should be all I need to say about that. Hang on, let me have a look at this. Okay, I don't really care about Adolfo Vieira and Cody Brundage. Um, Andre Fialho and Muslim Salikov might not suck. What else we got? Um, yeah, that's kind of it. Oh, man, there's two light heavyweight fights. Heavyweight main event. Yeah. Full preview. Oh, wait, Jack Della... Jack Della Madalena is fighting. That's a good... Love that guy. Love that guy. I hope he gets off that crappy Contender Series contract soon and starts making the money he deserves. But full preview next week. So be on the lookout for that. All right. That's it for me. Thank you as always. Deeply appreciate it. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.